Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, Mark chapter 4. We're going to uh, unpack some, uh, a pretty familiar story. Maybe you've, you've heard this one before, and um, we want to see what God is speaking to us this morning through this text. Um, I don't know if you grew up in a, in a way that I did, and that is I grew up with a pretty irrational fear, somewhat irrational, but at the same time, like, justified. Uh, I was beyond... Uh, normally scared. I was beyond the normal level of fear Fear when it came to the weather, when it came to storms. Um, if the wind were to blow a certain way, it would frighten me beyond really what I can describe. I, was, I really dealt with uh, anxiousness and things growing up, and I don't know what brought that on, and I don't know really what stopped it, because it was like one moment um, I went from being terrified of it to like wanting to chase them, and it was just this kind of pendulum swinging uh, that took place, and uh, today we're going to talk about a storm and, and how it, the perspective of the disciples and how it terrified them so, and, um, and so I want you to, to think maybe of something that you might even feel fearful of today. And I don't think you have to think long. We live in a society that uh, not only uh, discusses fear, but almost like purposefully projects it on the people. It almost seems that we live in a time where uh, maybe the media or the government or social media, whatever it might be, is always coming after us as to something new that we should be fearful of. Um, that, you know, your kids can't eat this, or they shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't go here, or you shouldn't uh, vote this way, or whatever it might be, uh, we are locked into having our minds set on, if these things happen, this would be the scenario that we'd be placed in, and that is terrifying. And so, um, I think that this is a, a relevant sermon for today's time, as it has been throughout all of humanity, that there has always been times, there, ha- there will always be times until Jesus returns, that the enemy places fear into the hearts and lives of not just God's people, but all people. That that is his objective, is to make us afraid. And I don't know if you have fallen into a trap that sometimes I have fallen in more recently in, in seeing the, the, the political atmosphere and seeing the way that things are, are being done and, and being fearful of those things. Or have you felt this that like man if this is the trajectory of where we're heading seems dangerous or it seems that um, I'm nervous for how things are going and, and it is God's word that we can so often run to and see that he gives us assurance of where we should be confident and how we should um, walk through life and the storms that it might prevent. And so we're going to read that this morning Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 35. If you would, just for a moment, will you stand with me as we honor God's word uh, today? Mark chapter 5, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and it says that, and it says this, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. 
just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you in your word say that you provide through your Holy Spirit a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, that, that peace would just fall on your people today. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would do everything that you can, Lord, to help us just implement that into our own lives, that we wouldn't just be hearers but doers of your word. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever felt crippled by fear? Maybe it's, it's, it's put you in a place where you didn't feel like you could leave your home or that you couldn't drive or you couldn't eat or you couldn't sleep. That, that it has physically changed you, maybe in moments of your life. Or, you know, if you uh, deal with fear, maybe you're afraid of the dark, or maybe you're afraid to, uh, to be in contact with those that aren't like you. Whatever it might be, fear is something that we all deal with on some level and we're all familiar with. And so today, as we unpack this, um, I hope that you are honest with yourself um, it's, it's easy to say, like, you know, I don't, I'm not afraid of anything. Like, you know, praise God, he's coming back. But the reality is, is that we, we so often, and I would say some of us daily, uh, hourly, deal with fear. I can tell you, um, I, don't so, I don't lose my cool too often, but sometimes I do. And I can tell you that on August 23rd, 2011, I lost my cool. It was a Tuesday. I remember it. And let me tell you what happened. And you'll remember it this day probably too. I was sitting in my office at the Richmond Police Department where I worked at the time. I was just a teller. And I was sitting in there doing the general ledger for the end of day. And I was ta- on the phone talking to someone about their account in Farmville, Virginia. Okay, I'm in Richmond. And in that moment, I'm sitting there and I'm typing on my computer. I remember it so vividly. And across the street from the Richmond Police Department is a place called Tiffany's. I think it's still there. And basically what it is is it was a nice hotel at one point, but now it's been uh, it's used as a place where they bring homeless people. And it's, it's kind of run down, to say the least. And it's filled with characters, also to say the least. And there are people there in that building that I had started to get to know some of their names and have contact with and stuff. They were what the the world would consider the crazies, right? These were the the wildest people. Um, And so I say that to, to show you what state I was in on this day. I was sitting there at my desk talking to someone in Farmville, Virginia, and all of a sudden, my desk, my computer, everything began to shake back and forth. This was the great earthquake of 2011 in Virginia. Do you remember? And so I was sitting there, and everything began to shake, and I had never experienced anything like that. I thought I was going crazy, and I, was, I stopped for a second in the middle of the phone call, and then the guy on the phone said to me, did you feel that? And I was like, What? He's like, did you, I think we're having an earthquake. And I'm like, are you in Farmville? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, 
And I threw that phone down and I ran. I didn't know what to do in an earthquake. This is not what you do. I ran, I threw the phone down, I ran, I ran past my sweet manager, Miss Alice Pope, who was probably 82 years old, sitting there, and I'm screaming, she's like, Brandon, what's going on? And I just take off past her, I run out the door, and there I join the group of crazies at Tiffany's as we all are flailing, I'm not kidding, flailing our arms, running down West Gray Street, just screaming as if I, like, I've lost it. I lost all control in that moment. Fear overrode everything that I knew in that moment, and I was, for the first time, more unified with those, <laughs> those people at Tiffany's than ever before. And I returned in an absolute embarrassment because I worked with only two other women who had a combined age of like 250, and they were like, you know, what, you know, they were so confused at how I responded, but that's what fear did to me in that day, on that day, and I was embarrassed, and certainly not the way that you're supposed to respond in a, in an earthquake uh, running through the city near tall buildings, but that was me losing my cool on August 23rd, 2011. Maybe you have a story, sim- maybe you don't have a story similar to that, but you certainly have moments where you've lost uh, your cool. I remember last year, uh, Dale and Brittany lost Noah for like, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? That's too long to lose a kid for like, for like you know, a one-year-old. Uh, and I remember them showing up to a meeting a little bit late, but they were absolutely frazzled. And we were like, what is going on? And they, they were like, we lost Noah. And that is a terrifying feeling as a parent. Like you don't wanna lose your kid for a minute and they lost him for like 10 minutes or longer. I don't know how long it was, but too long. And that's what, uh, you get this feeling where, uh, you know, physically you're changing because of the fear. And so it was on this day, the scripture says, when evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. Look at verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. There's going to be three instances where we're going to, we're going to discuss this word that's being used here, this, the word great that's used here in the text. And this word is magnus in the Greek, which means it's only used 30 times in all of Scripture. But it's this intense fear. Typically, it's when God says, like, with a great voice, with a magnus voice, with like this overwhelming, powerful, like when he speaks to Isaiah or when he speaks to Moses or when he speaks in Revelation, John uses it several times in Revelation. But here in this story, this word magnus is used three times, only 30 times in all of scripture. But in this story, three times it's used as to describe this large, irregular, mighty thing. This was a supercell of a storm. This was not a typical storm. These guys, these were fishermen who were typically on the water and who had no, undoubtedly dealt with storms and had dealt with water being taken in at times. But this moment was specifically unique. That these men who were accustomed to be on the sea were losing it because of the severity of the storm. And so we're going to look at that several times. But I want us to... I want to point out a crucial detail to this story, and that is Jesus led these men into the storm. That Jesus didn't get onto this boat and and then the storm hit and then him have to make an adjustment to figure out what's going on. That it literally says, let us go across to the other side. Jesus, this was his idea. 
Let's go into this. And he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to take place. And he knows how they're going to respond and how he can respond. And so Jesus led them there. That This is not accidental. This did not catch God off guard. And I think that we can stop and take, we can pause and take a deep breath in knowing that whatever you're dealing with did not catch God off guard. That's good news. That whatever the political climate might be, whatever you read on social media, whatever is being streaming on the news, whatever it might be, whether you get a vaccine or not, God is in control. And nothing catches him off guard. This pandemic didn't. Where you're sitting right now doesn't surprise him. None of these things. And so we should not be alarmed by the surprises that are in our lives. That they are divine, there are divinely ordained moments whereby God is working in the everyday circumstances of our lives. Why? To reveal who he is. To reveal to us who we are and to reveal to us our need for him. That trials and tribulations, difficulties, desperate moments are when God does his greatest work in our lives. Think of the darkest season that you have come through. And I hope that you can see that God's hand was upon you and that you were taught something through it. When dad was sitting in ICU with COVID and and I'm glad he's here and he's on oxygen and he's doing everything that he can to, to make it through this. But in this moment, we were terrified. I mean, we were, I was with my mom each day and I would hug her and she would cry and we would, we would just be, we were burdened for what was going on. And I had to remind myself, and I had even had to remind my mother that I don't know why God has him in there, but God is doing something in him right now. We have to trust that. When our pastor sat in ICU, we had, we had to trust the same thing. We had to trust the same thing with ourselves, that God, you're doing something right now. When I leave here, I've got to go and I've got to sit with, with Brittany and her mom, who is, if God doesn't miraculously intervene, she's going to lose her life, and it's going to be soon. She's not responsive. She's not, she's not dealing with, with this illness any longer, that God is taking her. And I have to go and I have to be confident in God's word and share with her that God is not surprised by this moment. And that is far easier said than done. Because when you're in the storm, you see the waves. You can taste the salt. You can feel the wind. It's one thing to look back at this story and say like, yeah, these guys come through it. They're fine. They're going to see the most miraculous thing. But when you're standing on the deck and you're taking in water, that's a whole nother story. It's hard, to, it's hard in that moment for someone to come and say, be still. Just be still and know that he is God. Right? That printed on your coffee cup doesn't do much for you in that morning. Or maybe you didn't sleep through the entire night and you, and you wake up and you're, you're stressed about your day or whatever you're having to deal with. Or maybe a, a child is sick or a spouse is, is you're not seeing eye to eye with. Or whatever it might be. Whatever difficulty is coming against you. Whatever decision that you're having to make. The fear that cripples us. God's word reminds us that he is there to reveal more of who he is. And more of our need for him. I've said this before, and I am certain I'll say it the rest of my ministry, and that is, it is in God's wrath that you live a perfect life. Meaning, perfect from humanity's standards. It is in God's wrath that you 
never deal with a financial issue, that you never deal with a health issue, that, it, that you never deal with a conflict, that you just coast by and you just say like, this is all the things that I have produced and look what I have done. But is it in God's love and mercy that he might say to you, like, have you, have you tested my servant Dale? Have you tested my servant Brian? Have you tested my servant Kevin? Have you, have you tested him? Because we need a savior. That he is the great, he, the greatest work happens most often in the most difficult times. When he brings us to the end of ourselves, we are driven to him and him alone as savior and rescuer. Because hear me out, if God does not act, we will not be saved. We cannot be saved. And the, the disciples on that day when they were on that boat, if Jesus had not acted, they would have died. And that would have been the end of the story. If God does not act in your life, you are not saved. You cannot be saved. And so our, our, the storms of life that, that come about and that we, we, date, we face and we have to deal with, this is God reminding us of our need of a Savior. It's Him reminding us of how, how crippled we are in and of ourselves, that we are just running around on a deck with everyone else screaming, saying, when is this storm going to end? When will we stop taking in water? And I'm sure that they were there maybe grabbing buckets and trying to throw it back out to, to no point, right? I mean, you know, there's no point in that moment of trying to save yourself. And that with, that's what they came to, the, the realization that they cannot save themselves. And so here you have this magnus storm, this great storm. If ever you were to go to Israel, I've never been, I, I hope to one day. I've read that you'll have the opportunity, if, if you have the opportunity to go onto the Sea of Galilee, it's likely that whoever will bring you out there just from what I've heard of other people's stories, that they might describe to you the dangers of this particular sea. That still today, that this is a dangerous sea. That it's not, it's not a normal place. And the reason why is because the surface of the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater, sorry, the lowest freshwater body in the world. There's no sea that's lower as far as the sea level is concerned. It sits at the bottom of the Jordan River, the valley there. It's surrounded by steep hills and mountains. And the valley and the gorges between these mountains can funnel wind from the west of the, off the Mediterranean Sea and from the east off of the desert. And so you have this collision of forces that are taking place. It's literally the perfect place for the perfect storm. And even with current technology of weather radar and whatever it might be, it just, it's a hot spot for unpredictable weather. Typically during the day, the, for whatever reason, the storms don't often happen at night. So that makes this story even more unique, that it was dark during this time, that these winds, they stir up violent storms and they are unpredictable. So too is the storms in our own lives, that the greatest storms in our own lives are often the ones that we didn't see coming. It's the sudden loss of a job or an unexpected death of someone that we love or a diagnosis that we weren't ever expecting that we would receive. I've said this as well, that, that all of us in this room are one phone call away from life being turned upside down. That if your phone were to ring right now or you were to get a text message that you'd have to walk out of here for a second, your life and everything that you thought today would look like could change in a moment. Is this true? 
This is how fragile and out of control we really are of our reality and what the future might look like. And so when things do seem stable, praise God. And when things are unstable, worship God. Seek Him. Once again, these were professional fishermen who knew the power of the sea and they hadn't faced it like this ever before. Also, to give you an idea of the sea, it's 64 square miles, this sea. To, to give you some perspective, Mechanicsville is 28 square miles. So it's over double the size of, of this town that we're talking about. This is not just, you know, you're just crossing right over uh, the James River here. This is a big sea. This is a, a, a ginormous thing that you can easily get lost in. They're on a vessel that's, that they, some say is about 30 feet long. And so we're on this thing. It's not a tiny thing. It's not a ginormous thing, but it's certainly big enough that they are scared as they're being swallowed by this moment. But then the scripture says, but he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, or some translations say a pillow. And I love that Jesus is asleep on a pillow, and here's why. Because in other parts of the scripture, Jesus says that the Son of Man is, he's the guy that sleeps like with a rock as your pillow. And so somehow on this day, Jesus got a pillow. <laughs> he snagged a cushion and he had been, pre you know, all these, all these sermons that we've been preaching about sowing the seed and, and the soil and all these things, that's all in one day. Jesus just did a marathon of preaching. And I can tell you, and I can test to this, and maybe you've preached a sermon at one point in your life, it's exhausting. When we, when myself or Pastor Greg leave this place, we're worn out. And Jesus here has had a marathon of sermons, and not just sermons, but like killer sermons, right? I mean, people are being changed. When Jesus speaks, things change, things happen, and people want his attention. And he needs to get on a boat to get away from this for a little while. And here on this boat, I don't know if, he, if someone handed this guy a pillow before he got on it, or if he just walked down in the stern and was like, praise me. There's, some, there's a pillow right there. I'm taking that pillow. I'm going to lay down for a little while, right? I mean, he is, uh, I would say, this again shows the, the hypostatic union of Jesus being fully God and fully man, that he needed rest because he was fully man. Jesus slept every day unless he was up praying through the night, that, that he needed rest, that Jesus yawned. He got tired, he might have rolled his eyes a few times. He definitely had to stretch. He definitely, at the end of sermons, would have been weak and hungry and exhausted. And in this moment, is no different. And so he's there in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him. And they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I don't know any other example to give than other than my, my own children waking me for a reason. And it, it, you know, if you're a parent, you know that there are times where your kids wake you up for something important, and then that's also a lie because they never wake you up for something important, <laughs> right? I mean, like those are the two options. They wake you up for something important, and actually they don't. They usually just wake you up for the most, you know, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning, they want a bowl of cereal or something. This is what, what we go through. And here in this moment, Jesus is being awoken by uh, what I would, I would say, like, it's probably good sleep. And this guy was, uh, you know, feeling the, the rock of the, the sea and was enjoying his comfy pillow and was wakened by his disciples. And here the disciples are both scared and angry. 
And they wake Jesus by rebuking him. They rebuke Jesus in saying, don't you care? Don't you see that what we're going through? Don't you see the storm? Like you're the, you're the savior of the world. You're, you're in control of these things. You're the, the great I am. You're the door, the good shepherd. You're the vine. You're all of these things. And we're in the middle of the most difficult moment of our life and you're sleeping? To be utterly transparent with you, I, I, I admit to you this morning that there have been times in my life where I have cried out to God and said, are you awake? Do you see what's going on with me? Do you see what's happening to my health? Or do you see what's happening in this area of my life or that area of my life? Or do you see that we've been, we've been praying or that we've been fasting? God, do you see us? Maybe you haven't been there. But this is a typical response of the creation rebuking the creator. Once again, to prove of God's long-suffering, his patience toward his people. That time and time again, we call out to God questioning his motives, and yet God is patient and loving toward us. It pains me greatly to see myself in the disciples here because I would not be the guy sitting next to Jesus relaxing. I would be the leader of the shouting. Maybe you would. I would be frantic. I would be panicking. Spurgeon once said that God is too wise to err, too good to be unkind. Leave off doubting him and begin to trust him, for in doing so, you will put a crown on his head. What Spurgeon was saying is that When we trust him, we are proclaiming him king over our situation. You can look like an absolute fool in the moment of the most difficult time of your life to say to you and to those around you, I trust God. I trust God in this moment. When uh, when we lost our second, when we lost our baby in between our two kids, and uh, we were we were beyond devastated. And I remember having to encourage myself and encourage Kelsey and saying, like, we have to trust the Lord with this. And I'll be honest with you, not really even believing that at times. But saying it and saying, I, I will, you know, when Paul says, like, I will think myself happy. I love that. that like, he's like, I'm not there, but I'm thinking I'm there. And I'm going to get there. And we have to trust the Lord. It's like saying, God, help. We believe, help my unbelief. I trust you, but help me trust you. I need you, but, but show me once again how I need you. I have faith in you, Lord, but strengthen my faith. Somehow the, the Christian world has turned into this, this idea that, that if we don't have it all together, then we, are, then we don't have faith. Faith is proclaiming that you have it even when you don't feel that you do. It's clinging on to God even when the storm is there and you don't even see, you know, it, you know sometimes I think it would be just nice just to see if Jesus sleeping. Hey, at least they got to see Jesus sleeping, right? We serve the invisible God. We serve the God that, that, we, that no one can see. That, that, I mean, this is outrageous that we put our faith and our trust in them, in him. And so we proclaim him as king over our situation,
Kelsey and I were talking last night about the, the political situation, and I keep bringing it up because it's, it has struck fear in our, in our hearts. And we were just going through that last night, and we were talking about the Lord, and, and I was like, man, you, this, was a, this was a rough day for you to do kids' church because I really want you to hear this sermon, but that's why recordings are nice. And I, I wanted to, to say to her, or I did say to her, like, no matter, I, I, we, we don't know what will happen in this country what will happen in this world. We don't know what's going to happen with the church, but what we do know is that it will prevail. There is no darkness that can outweigh God's church and God's plan, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so what he is saying, what God's word is saying, is that we must trust him, that we are proclaiming him as king over the situation and his disciples were fearful in this moment, and in fact, didn't even see the, the reality of this come to fruition until the resurrection Christ was before them. That's, that's the whole reason we celebrated last week, isn't it? That's the whole reason why we say, if this isn't true, we should be pitied above, among, above everyone. This has to be true. Guys, if this isn't true, I don't know what else we have. I am perplexed what the world puts their hope in because everything else that you put your hope in will come to an end. It will die. No matter what, whatever is the most important thing to you right now, it will cease unless it is Christ. And so it says that he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. There was a Magnus calm. There was, this, there was this situation that shifted from this absolute terrifying storm to this... And nowhere else in Scripture is there a calm that's mentioned in this regard, as far as the Greek is concerned. That, that there is this calm that it went from... The, it went from the sea being overtaking the ship and to all of a sudden, boom, glass... There wasn't a ripple. This was a, a supernatural calm. This was like a light switch being turned on. Like everything had changed. That, that the wind stopped instantaneously. No after effect. No brushing over. No, nothing else. No more mist in the face. That this was the end of it in that moment. That Jesus stood and said, peace, be still. And it had to obey instantaneously. When God said, let there be light, nothing had to warm up. When you flip off the lights at a stadium, it's a problem. It's not anymore. They've got greater technology. But for these older stadiums, when you flip on a light it's a, or you flip one off, it's a problem. Because it's going to take about 30, 45 minutes for those things to warm up. When God said, let there be light, the sun was like, Ugh, <laughs> like instantly. I have no other choice. It doesn't hesitate. It, it is first-time obedience. Isn't that what you want out of your children? That in itself is a miracle. Parents, you say this over and over. I just want you to be obedient the first time. Nothing hesitates when God speaks. Nothing. He has never had to repeat himself when he speaks to his creation. Not one time. He never has to say, did you not hear me? Did you hear what I said? This is, this is in our, our vocabulary every day, parents, isn't it? Didn't you hear me? I'll say it again. 
That's not the God that we serve. This is the God that we serve. Isaiah would say it like this in chapter 30, verse 21. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying this, this is the way, walk in it. And so when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left, what Isaiah is saying is that there is in this life, because of the brokenness of this world, there is bread of adversity and water of affliction. But your teacher is behind you saying this way, this way. That he directs our steps, that he is close, that as you're munching on the bread of affliction and you are drinking the water or the bread of adversity and drinking the water of affliction, know that your teacher, your master, your savior is behind you, guiding you. You've seen, you had to, you have had to have seen the, the, like the painting, right? The, this, this footprints in the sand painting, right? We've seen this. You probably saw this in maybe your grandma's house or something like that. You know, why was there only one footstep at one point? Well, that's because I was carrying you. Bro, he's been carrying you the whole time. There's only one footstep. There's always only been one set of steps. It's him. This is the supernatural peace that can be found only in Christ. And, I, and actually, I've never done this. Just by a show of hand, have you ever sensed the supernatural peace of Jesus? Will you lift your hand? Look at this. Thank you. That this is, I want this to be clear that the body of Christ knows this. We have been in situations, you have been in situations, you don't have to walk with him long to sense his presence, to know, look, God, there is no other way that I could have walked through this if it weren't for you. And maybe if you're here today and you're walking through that dark time, you just need to be reminded that he provides the peace that surpasses understanding that this magnus calm that this this supernatural calm that take that took place in that day is the same calmness that he provides to us today and he awoke and he rebuked rebuked the sea and he said peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them why are you so afraid have you still no faith and then it says and then they were filled with magnus fear it doesn't say they were filled with that kind of fear when the storm was happening. Now the disciples are more afraid than they were during the storm. They went from fear to Magnus fear. They went from fear like, man, we're about to die, to what are we on this ship with? Who is this man? This is the kind of fear that they are. Who, and they even say, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What kind of man is this that they were in such fear after this miracle? Almost so like, hey, I can comprehend that storm. That makes sense. But what you just did, they, they realized in that moment that he was the most terrifying thing out there. On the, the Sea of Galilee on that night, the sea was not the thing to be feared. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those that kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said that. Don't be afraid of, don't be afraid of the, the, the guy that can just come up to you and end your life. Be afraid of the one who has control over all eternity, who can destroy both your soul and your body. One can take your life, the other can take your life and your soul. This is a, a glimpse into God's holiness. This is a glimpse into who God says that he is and, and how we should view him and how we should trust him. Teacher, do you not see that we are perishing? In Jonah, this, is a, this scripture runs parallel, I would say, in, in some sense. Jesus can, calls himself like Jonah, right? He, he says that he uses this illustration of, you know, the Son of Man will be like Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days. This is what we celebrated last week. And the, the, the parallel in these stories is also significant and worth noting because it says this, but the Lord, in Jonah chapter one, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah was down in the inner part. He was in the stern of the ship and had laid his head down and he was asleep. Does it sound familiar? And the captain came and he said to them, what are you doing, you sleeper? He says, arise and call out to your God. Perhaps he will give us, he'll get us through this that we may not perish. They wake up this sleeping man and say, we are perishing. Call on your God. Jonah, asleep in the stern. Wake up. We're perishing. Jesus, asleep in the stern. Wake up. We're perishing. But there is a difference. Jonah was in trouble, and he knew that it was his fault. And in essence, Jonah laid down his life by saying, it is me. Throw me overboard. Jonah laid down his life for the sake of these men because of his own sin. And Jesus lays down his life for the sake of the other man's sin. Jonah says, kill me because I have sinned. Jesus says, kill me, but you have sinned. And Jonah sacrifices himself and yet God spares him. Jesus sacrifices himself and God does not. Jonah was rightly to be executed on that day. Sometimes the storms of our life is a product of our own doing. Sometimes we are in a mess because we create messes, right? Not everything is unexpected. Sometimes it's just poor decisions that get us into trouble. And so we can, we can look around at the brokenness of this world and I don't think it's all that confusing because we are broken. We contribute all the more to the brokenness of this world, don't we? And yet Jesus, having been without sin, stands 
and says, peace, be calm. The book of Mark is filled with the authority of Christ over nature, over the demonic, over sickness. Jesus has full authority. Today as we, we're going to pray with you, we're going to receive communion, we're going to worship one last time, then we're going to go on in our day. You're going to get in your car, and if you're not careful, you're going to, you're going to allow fear to seep right back in. You're going to allow something that you can't control to convince you that you can control it. The disciples on that day realized that that water is something they never had control over. And that they, had, they would have died that day if it weren't for a Savior. And as we receive these elements here in just a little bit, I want you to know as you come and you approach this table and you receive together, I want you to know that if it weren't for this, the storm would take you. But it is Christ who lays down his life for the sake of others' sin, for the sake of your sin, for the sake of my sin. Our God is not sleeping. He is awake and he is well and he is on the throne. And the enemy and all of society will convince us otherwise or try to. They will try to convince us that where America is heading, we are doomed. Where this world is heading, we will be without we will lack. And if this world takes some of our comforts from us, so be it. I'm not saying things will always be easy. And I'm not saying that there won't be storms. And I'm not trying to discredit the storm that you might be going through right in this moment. But what I can say is that God provides the peace that surpasses all understanding. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.